Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 3. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Jesus is saying to the pastor, listen, the problem in the church is not necessarily with the people because it begins in the pulpit. It begins with the pastor. Too much is given, much is required. Don't be desire to be many teachers knowing you shall receive the greater condemnation. So Jesus is writing to the pastor as well as to the congregation. Now, here's just a bit of history On Sardis, they have an interesting history. The name Sardis means remnant. Remnant. Sardis was the capital city of Lydia, about 50 miles east of Smyrna. Sardis was one of the greatest and wealthiest cities in the entire world. Gold and silver were first minted in Sardis. Jewelry was found in their cemeteries. The city of Sardis stood 1,500 feet above the main roads. If you were here for my, my um, slide presentation when I went to Israel and I went to Masada, and if you remember the picture of Masada, then you can think of what Sardis looked like, this huge, massive rock in the middle of nowhere. Masada's right next to the Dead Sea. So Sardis is 1,500 feet above the main roads, which formed an impregnable fortress. The hill had the hill had steep sides so that it was smooth and it was impossible to climb, which made them confident. It gave them a confidence that they could never be overtaken. The king of Sardis was named Carosis. He was the wealthiest man living at the time. Get this, in 549 B.C., The city was prospering, and King Cyrus, the Medo-Persian king, initiated a siege on the city and offered a special reward to anyone who could find a way into the city. And one night, one of Cyrus' soldiers was standing watch, and he saw a Sardonian soldier dropped his helmet, and it fell through the cracks. And when the soldier went to retrieve the helmet, the soldier realized that there was a way into the city through the crack up the cliff into the city. Now, the interesting thing is when all these soldiers come scurrying up through the cracks and up into the city, you would think they would have found this huge army ready to knock them down and ready to attack and ready to, you know, defend their city. Nope, they didn't find that. When they got to the top of the city, they found no one guarding the gates. Why? Because the city of Sardis, the the people of Sardis, they were overconfident. And they found no one there guarding the city, watching the city walls. And King Cyrus took the city that night. They thought they were so safe, they didn't even need to post a guard. Now, the Bible says to us, listen, Christian, we're not that safe. We need to post a guard in our lives spiritually 
by being on watch in the spirit. The Bible says, let a man take heed when he stands, lest he fall. Oh, I would never do that. I could never go there. I would don't never say never. Don't take confidence. These guys were overconfident. And because they were overconfident, Cyrus took the city. It has well been said that if we have learned anything from history, we have learned that we haven't learned anything from history. Have you heard that? And it's so true. And it was the case in, in this city. They were captured in 549 B.C. and they didn't learn from that because approximately 300 years later, 214 B.C., instant replay. Amazing. The same exact thing happened. This time, the Roman army, under the leadership of Antichus Epiphanes, was surrounding the city and wondering how to penetrate the city. And a helmet fell off a soldier. Soldiers come through the cracks. And you guessed it, take the city. They ain't learn anything from history. That's because they were wealthy. This was a luxurious place to live. These people were into fashion. They liked clothes and cool stuff, and they had a lot of money, and they were wealthy, and, you know, I'm sure they had Lexus and Beamers and Playstations and computers and Palm Pilots, you know, stuff y'all got. They were wealthy, arrogant, and proud. They were so proud to the point of their fall. Now go back to verse 1. Notice Jesus says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Now I am sure that if you were to go to the city of Sardis and you were to go into church and say, hey guys, are you guys alive? Of course we're alive. Man, we're a happening church. Man, have you not been by our bookstore and saw our t-shirts we just had made? Sardis, church alive. We are alive. Oh, they were proud of being alive. Now think about it like this. As the pastor read this letter, what Jesus had to say to this alive church was shocking. And they were proud of their church. They had heard that only seven letters were chosen to be written to seven churches. I mean, there were more than seven cities in the area of Asia Minor. But only seven Letters were written to seven churches, and they knew that, that they were hand-picked by Jesus to receive one of these letters. And they're thinking, wow, Jesus knows us. He knows all about us. And as the pastor read the letter, they were waiting for him to get to the most important church. And so the pastor stands up and, and to the church at Ephesus, right, and they would listen Ah, uh, man, those Ephesians, what is wrong with those people? How could they leave their first love? Sad Ephesians, bad Ephesians, you know. And all the poor persecuted churches, Smyrna. Nobody likes those guys. They keep killing all the Christians. What's up with them? I mean, nobody likes them. Everybody hates them. Everybody loves us. I mean, we offend no one. Everybody loves us and hates them, all those poor persecuted people in Smyrna. And then Pergamos. I mean, how could you guys allow the doctrine of Balaam in your fellowship? How could you? And then, and then they hear about the church at Thyatira. 
That woman Jezebel who brought in all this false teaching and paganism and and brought in the world and and the church and state, they mix and they're thinking, hello, don't you think, hello, Jezebel. Her name is Jezebel. There's a problem with her name. Why would you let this woman teach in your church? What is up with you people? And they're listening and the pastor is reading. And finally they get to, and to the church had Sardis right. And they're thinking, oh, I know this is going to be good. <laughs> this is good. This is about our church, man. We're alive. We're happening. Surely Jesus knows everything about us and he has nothing bad to say about us. And the pastor continues to read. I know your works. Yes. Yes, Jesus knows. And Jesus says that you have a name that is alive. Oh, yes. Church alive. That's us. That's us. But you are dead. What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> dead? Who's dead? We're not dead. We're alive. We're the happening church. We, we, we're all that in a bag of chips. What is Jesus saying? That can't be right. Pastor, give me that letter. You're reading it wrong. You have a name. It's just a name. That you are alive, but you are dead. See, our estimation of ourselves is different than God's estimation of us. So you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And how's that go again? <laughs> you fool some of the people. You can't fool nobody. You know what I'm saying. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're not alive. You think you're alive, but you're not. You are dead. This church was asleep at the wheel. Now, we have all gone into churches and leave, and we say, oh, man, that church was dead, man. That church was dead. Well, that's one thing. But listen, when Jesus says you're dead, you are dead. John, say amen if you knew that. Okay, we're halfway there. Jesus says, you guys are dead. You have a name that you are alive. Now, the word translated name, you could write this in your Bible in the margin, reputation. The word name can be translated reputation. They had a reputation of life, but they were dead. You see, reputation is what people think you are on the inside, but Jesus knows what you are on the outside. And Jesus says you're dead. Why? Because this church had become complacent. Because this church had become comfortable, which led to compromise, which will always lead to comatose. They were dead to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus tells them, you have a reputation, but you aren't being led by the Spirit. Therefore, you lack life and vitality in your midst. Sardis had a great past and a wonderful history, but it was, they were fooling themselves about their present state. We're alive. Listen, saints, listen, people, listen. Don't ever make the mistake of thinking that a lively church is alive. I come from a lively church, y'all. I mean, it was lively. Lively. Very lively. I'm not so sure it was alive. There is a difference between lively and alive. And it makes me think of the seeker churches today. This makes me think of the seeker churches today. Just between services, someone was telling me that they had attended a seeker church that would not say the name of Jesus from the pulpit. 
What is up with that? Oh, then you know why? Because now the name of Jesus is offensive. They wouldn't talk about the blood of Christ. I'll do a whole sermon on it. Because we need it. The blood, oh, that's yucky stuff. Yucky stuff? Yucky stuff is in the middle of an Oreo cookie. The blood of Jesus cleanses me, amen? The blood of Jesus washes me, amen? I'm forgiven with the blood of Jesus. Yucky stuff, what? Oh, they won't talk about, no, 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 no. They don't want to talk about anything like that. She said they wouldn't talk about Jesus. Don't, don't, don't make the mistake of thinking, thinking that lively means alive. I was reading this article from the L.A. Times. It was a study done on seeker churches, and it reads this. Those churches, seeker churches, stress, pardon me, innovation, and reach out to people unfamiliar with traditional religion. Led by self-styled religious entrepreneurs, they use sophisticated business techniques to create a spiritual product for choosy suburban consumers. Congregants are no longer referred to as members, but as clients. And the whole approach is to offer slick, packaged, and polished performance. The problem, according to church growth expert Eddie Gibbs, formerly known of the Bee Gees. Sorry. Couldn't help it. Gibbs. But this guy is a professor of church growth at Fullerton Theological Seminary in uh, Pasadena. These churches constantly have to reinvent themselves, he said. They must find the latest thing to keep the consumer happy. That's sad. Let me ask you a question. What made the early church lively? Alive and lively. But what made them alive? The Spirit of God. Amen? You see, it was, you know, in our Bibles, we have, like, if you open your Bible to the front part of uh, your your book of Acts, don't do it now, but I'm just doing it just for illustration. And and, and you open your, it says, the, the Acts of the Apostles. It says the Acts of the Apostles. That's not right. That's not right. It's not the Acts of the Apostles. This is the book. This is the history, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that is moving in the lives of the apostles, and the apostles are listening to the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, and it's the Spirit of God that's leading and directing and guiding them as they take the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that empowers any church. And when any church refuses the work of the Holy Spirit influencing that church, that church can count on it. The church is going to be dead. And that's what Jesus said to this church. You are dead. Now, as I said, the city of Sardis, they had a problem watching out for their enemies And the church at Sardis, they had the same problem. Notice in verses 2 and 3, the correction. Be watchful. Notice the correction. They weren't watching. Jesus says, be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are all ready to die. For I have found your works perfect. I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how... Remember, circle the word how. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. 
Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come unto you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. Interesting. The pews in the church were peaceful like a cemetery. And people routinely showed up. But notice Jesus says, be watchful. Or you could read this as wake up. It also means wake up because you are dead. Sardis has been called the fruitless church, the church with reputation but needing resuscitation, the church of spiritual apathy, the church of the living dead. Jesus says you guys are dead. But what I love about Jesus, he just doesn't leave us dead or dying. He says, listen, you can do something that's going to bring you back to life or shock you back to life. And he gives them six things to do to bring their dead church back to life. Six things which also you can bring any person personally back to life. Notice number one, Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. Are you dead? Are you spiritually dead? Are you feeling dead? Then wake up. Now, in the Greek, this is a staccato command. It's to shock you back to consciousness. It's like Jesus is in the ER with electrodes in his hand and someone's heart is stopped and Jesus yells, clear. Poof. Wake up. Come back to life. It's a 911 emergency call. No time to waste. Wake up. Secondly, strengthen the things which remain. Sardis is on life support, barely clinging to hope. And Jesus says, where there is a little life, there is hope. Don't give up. That which is still functioning and still alive, seek to stabilize it. And then remember how they received and heard. Thirdly, notice that how. You see, the deadness in this church was not due to wrong teaching like Pergamos and Thyatira. They are dead because they have forgotten how they received the word. How did they receive the word? By the Spirit. It was the Spirit of God illuminating the mind and the hearts of men and women. It was the Spirit of God that revealed the truth to them. The word came to them by the power of the Spirit. And they started believing and trusting God by the Spirit. And Jesus says lovingly and simply, get back to that. And then hold fast, fourthly, cling to what is good. And then fifthly, repent. Turn around, change directions, do a U.E. Go back to Jesus. And then sixth, recover the hope of the Lord's return. Notice he says, I'll come upon you as a thief and you will not know what hour I come to you. Recover the hope of the Lord's return. Why? Because when I recover the hope of the Lord's return, guess what? It makes me live holy. There's a purifying effect in thinking and believing that Jesus is coming any minute. It really is. I mean, think about it. You're thinking about getting into some sin today. Ooh, how can I sin it up today? You know? And before you go, just think of one thing. Think of one thing. Think of Pastor Rodney might catch you. No, just kidding. <laughs> just a joke. Think, think this. Think this. Think this. What if Jesus came while you were involved in that sin? be pretty embarrassing. Be awful for you. 
So if you want to wake up from the dead, recover the hope of the Lord's return. Jesus warns them and he says, if you ignore my command and be watchful, I'm going to come upon you at a time when you least expect it. Now, listen up. I told you earlier, let me just say it again for the record. Please, by no means be offended at the things that we're going to talk about for the remaining few minutes. Don't be offended. As a matter of fact, we are equal opportunity offenders. So stay around, <laughs> stay around, and, and, and we'll just offend everybody, you know? Just, just offend everybody. I think that's the way to go, you know? Just offend them all. Offend all the people of God. And so please, understand that what we're going to talk about over the next few minutes is history and fact. And if you disagree with it, then go do your homework in this area of history. You will find facts. Very important. We're going to talk about church history, the Reformation period. You might want to write that down. This would be the period of 1500 to 1800 AD. It's interesting because John Gill, uh, a theologian, writing, he said this about this time period. He said, this church represents the state of the church from the time of the Reformation by Luther and others until a more glorious state of the church appears or until the spiritual reign of Christ in the Philadelphian period. Under the Sardis church state, we now are. Isn't that interesting? Even John Gill saw the pattern of the churches as far back as 1747, and he was only halfway through the sequence. Way back then, he saw this panoramic view of these periods in church history. So now we're going to talk about the Reformation period. The Reformation was sparked in 1380. Now, most theologians and most scholars will tell you that it began in 1500. I agree with that, and that's why I tell you that, because yes, it did begin in 1500, but it was actually sparked in 1380 by an Oxford scholar by the name of John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was a Catholic priest whose mission it was to unchain the scriptures from the pulpit and to get common people back to the Bible. Remember the church at Thyatira, the Roman church. They wanted to keep people away from the Bible and didn't want anybody to learn the Bible. Only the priests could tell you what God had said. And, and these Catholic priests who didn't want to stop being Catholic, you got to understand that. They had no intentions on stopping being Catholic. They wanted to be Catholic, but they wanted the Catholic Church to get back to the teaching of the word and to get the Bible into the hands of common people. That's what their mission was. And it was John Wycliffe's mission to unchain the scriptures from the pulpit so that the average person could read it. He was very troubled by what was going on in the Catholic Church, the crazy papal edicts of Rome, transubstantiation, the Roman mass, we talked about it. And he became an archenemy of Rome. He was excommunicated from the church. He died and was buried. Before he died, he had two converts, two really close guys, and these guys were disciples of his. Their names were John Huss, H-U-S-S, -S, and Hugh Latimer, who also wanted to see reformation and revival and return to the gospel. And they were martyred in Oxford, burned at the stake. And Hugh Latimer and John Huss, as they were burning... Huss turned to Latimer and said, they have made a mistake. Today they have ignited a candle and a torch that will never go out. 
He said that while they were burning. And it's true. It lighted the sparks of reformation to go throughout England and people began to want to get back to the Bible. Forty years later, after Huss and Latimer were burned, Rome ordered John Wycliffe's body to be unearthed and his bones to be burned and scattered over the swift river outside of Oxford. Amazing. They were not into this reformation thing. But after their deaths, a young monk by the name of Martin Luther, was born to a coal miner who refused to allow his son to work in the mines. And so his dad, Martin Luther's dad, sent him to the university. And while at the university, a storm blew through, such as Luther had never heard. And he cried out to St. Anne, and he said, St. Anne, save me, and I'll become a monk. That's an interesting promise, isn't it? (laughs) Save me, and I'll become a monk. Well, he was saved. And he became a monk, and he kept his vow. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's one 800 293-0923 or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.